1 Corinthians chapter 12. Of course, we've just been working our way through the list of spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we'll just read a little bit to refresh our memory, starting in verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, which is a gift that we come to tonight. Very important gift in the body of Christ, especially uh, for the age in which we lived. We talked about last week prophecy being the gift that is most to be desired by individual members of the church, according to the scriptures himself. Uh, but this gift, perhaps in my own estimation, maybe what is most, I can't really say most important, that wouldn't be correct, but it's certainly tantamount to any other gift in its importance, equal in importance to any other gift for the functioning of the church in these last days. And we'll see why. So distinguishing of spirits or discerning of spirits. Let's get a little working definition of that gift here. The gift of discerning of spirits is the capacity to discern the source of spiritual manifestations or influences. That is whether they are the Holy Spirit, an evil spirit, or merely the human spirit. Okay, so an ability given to an individual member of the church by the Holy Spirit, by which that Christian can determine if a spiritual manifestation or influence is from the spirit of God, an evil spirit, or just the spirit of man, the flesh, so to speak, an ability to discern instantly. And by the Holy Spirit. Remember that the gifts of the Spirit are supernatural enablings to meet overwhelming needs. Okay, so the gifts of the Spirit kick in where human ingenuity leaves off. Amen? The gifts of the Spirit kick in where we just, we, we just can't pull it together anymore. We, we just don't have the wherewithal. We just don't have the resource, the ability, the know-how in and of ourselves to make something happen in the church that needs to happen, that's when the spiritual gifts kick in. And there are times when the, gift, the, the, the church needs supernatural discernment to know if a situation or a sign or wonder or the ministry of a person is from the Lord or the devil or just the flesh. Now, in the Old Testament, we have a, a, a much less frequent mention of demons in the Old Testament than we do in the New Testament. They're, not just, they're just not spoken of in the same way, and certainly they're mentioned less frequently in the Old than they are in the New. And when we do have demons mentioned, or when we do see demonic attacks in the Old Testament, they're generally overt in nature. 
Okay, let's just say they're generally not undercover. It's generally not an issue of, of deception so much. It's usually pretty overt in nature when we see the enemy working against God's people in the Old Testament. For example, uh, the works of the enemy in the Old Testament are often embodied in military attacks by an unbelieving nation against God's people, Israel. So the enemy would be controlling these military forces, this enemy to come against Israel. And, and that would be the plan and the schemes and the purposes of Satan at that time against what God is doing, but fairly overt there, a whole physical army coming against Israel. Or it was often manifest in the Old Testament, demonic onslaught against God's people as overt enticements for God's people to go after false gods. Just open, blatant enticements for them to go after idolatry and false gods. So what we see then in the Old Testament is that demonic activity was primarily perceived through observation of outward physical events or circumstances. Okay? In the Old Testament, demonic activity was primarily perceived through observation of outward physical events and circumstances in which Satan's purposes were carried out and in which events could be clearly seen. But in the New Testament, we have sort of a shift, it seems, in demonic strategy. The New Testament tells us very clearly that the New Testament age, and one might argue, and I certainly would argue, that even more specifically, the age in which we, this generation, lives, is to be characterized by deception and by the covert schemes of the enemy working against God's people in a much less overt uh, fashion than we see in the Old Testament. Let's look at the New Testament's testimony to that fact. First with the words of Jesus as you turn to Matthew 24. In Matthew 24, we have what is often called the Olivet Discourse. Jesus instructing his disciples from the Mount of Olives concerning events that would surround the last days. We get a little bit of context from verse 3 of Matthew 24. And as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? Jesus in the previous two verses had prophesied the destruction of the temple. Tell us when the destruction of the temple will be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of your age. Okay, so the sign of your coming and the end of the age. Again, arguably the days in which we live. Verse four, first thing that Jesus says, and Jesus answered and said to them, see to it that no one misleads you. That is the first thing he had to say when the disciples said, tell us about the end times. Tell us about the last days. Tell us about the moments in history that will come just immediately before your appearing. The first words from the mouth of our Lord, see that nobody deceives you. Thereby setting the tone and the tenor of the New Testament that the last days would be characterized by deception. He says in verse 5, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah and will mislead many. So Jesus says that the days in which we live will be characterized by demonic deception. Now turn to Acts 20 as we see this develop further. 
Now we move from the gospel period in Jesus' ministry on earth into the period of the early church. And in Acts chapter 20, Paul is getting ready to leave Ephesus. He will not be returning to Ephesus. And he's giving a farewell speech to the elders or the pastors of the church, okay? He's instructing the leaders of the church, the last things that he wants to say to them. We had just looked at Jesus' first words to the disciples about the last days. Now we're going to look at Paul's last words to a very important church, the church in Ephesus. So we pick it up in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. And here's what Paul has to say to them. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd, okay, to shepherd, overseers who shepherd. He's talking to the pastors of the church. To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Okay, he told him in verse 28, be on guard for yourselves and the whole flock. Verse 29, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Savage wolves. Verse 30, and from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to warn each one of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word, okay, the word that is in front of you, the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So the thing that was pressing upon Paul's heart is he departed from this lively, vibrant, uh, strategic church in the first century was be on the alert. When I leave, savage wolves will come in. Not only will wolves enter in, but men from among your own number will rise up speaking perverse things, false doctrines, seeking to draw people unto themselves. So notice now, not only are the days that precede the coming of the Lord going to be characterized by deception, but the deception will be coming from within the church. From without to be sure. But Paul here enlightens us and says, men will arise from among you. It's just like if Paul were sitting with us here this evening. Our church is going to be four years old the second weekend of September this year. So just about as old as the church in Ephesus. It's just as though he were sitting here with us and he said, okay, now from your number here, some people are going to rise up speaking perverse things, seeking to draw people away unto themselves. Be very aware of that reality. That's heavy. Now go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. First Timothy chapter 4. Remember all the T's are together in the New Testament. <laughs> Helps you to find them. Timothy is after Thessalonians. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Just verse 1. This is Paul writing to a young pastor whose name was Timothy. He says in 1 Timothy 4.1, But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith. Okay, in the last days there's going to be people who will depart from the faith. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 24, that the love of some would wax cold. He says in the latter times some will fall away from the faith. Why? Paying attention to deceitful spirits 
and doctrines of demons. They're in the faith. They're in the church. Paul said that in the last days, some people would fall away from the faith. Why? Because they paid attention to doctrines of demons and deceitful spirits. That demonic spirits would be working within the church to cause people to fall away. And false teachings, doctrines of demons, would infiltrate the church that would entice people to fall away. Now, let's scare you a little more. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter three, starting in verse one. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, Haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. So Paul here in his second letter to the young pastor Timothy describes once again what the last days would be like. That those things would characterize humanity in the last days, but that People would hold to a form of godliness or religion, but deny the power thereof. Now, who is the power? Jesus Christ. So there will be people who claim to be Christians, people who are functioning within the church, moving alongside the church, acting as though they are Christians, but denying the master, denying the person, Jesus Christ, holding to a form of religion but denying the power thereof, that is, the person of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 4, next chapter, starting in verse 1. Paul, kind of giving a remedy for these things, says to Timothy in verse 1 of 2 Timothy 4, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom... Preach the word. Okay? There's a major strategy against the deception of the last days. Amen? Amen. That's why I preach for at least an hour every Sunday. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. That is what we endeavor to do from this pulpit. Verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. That's a prophetic word of the Lord, I believe, for some of you tonight, verse 5 is. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your unique, I add the word, ministry. But notice what he says. Again, in the last days, there will be people in the church who don't want to endure sound doctrine anymore. They don't want to hear about the realities of sin anymore. They don't want to hear about blood anymore. They don't want to hear about the cross anymore. They don't want to hear about repentance 
They don't want to hear about holiness. They don't want to hear about the requirement of prayer. They don't want to hear about the practices of self-discipline and the word and the clear dividing of the word and those doctrines that guard our souls. They don't want to hear about those things. They want doctrines that will tickle their ears, doctrines that will make them feel good, doctrines that will appeal to their sense of comfort, perceived well-being, and their egocentric worldview. And that's so much of the preaching that we observe within the church today. All that to say that Paul clearly pronounces to us that there would be teachers of false doctrine in the church in the last days. Now, the last verse that we'll look at on this tirade is 2 Peter 2. 2 Peter, after Hebrews, after James, before 1 John. 2 Peter chapter 2. Verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. And in their greed... It's an important one. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words, but their judgment from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. In other words, the Lord will deal with them. Now there we see from the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, all the way to the end of the New Testament, that the days in which we live, no matter how you seek to divide your eschatology, the days in which we live are characterized by deception within the church. Demonic deception. Its source is Satan. And what's clear from these passages is it's not going to be overt in nature. It's going to be covert in nature. Deceitful spirits. Now, these spirits have been around for, well, who knows how long. A lot longer than humanity. And so when they endeavor to deceive, they are very good at it. They've observed humanity for thousands of years. They know just how to go about deceiving. And they will be endeavoring to do it within the church. Are you beginning to see why? I said that the gift of discerning or distinguishing of spirits is as important to our church today as any other gift. Do you see how absolutely it, vital it is that this gift is functioning in the church The individuals are seeking this gift. The individuals are coming before the Lord, even tonight, saying, Lord, I want the gift of discerning of spirits. Do you see how important it is? Now, setting the gift aside for a moment, there are, to be sure, means by which every single Christian is able to discern truth from error. The spirit of God working or evil spirits or the spirit of humanity, the flesh. There are ways in which every Christian, and not every Christian has a gift of discerning of spirits, but there are ways in which every Christian is able to discern if it's the Lord or the enemy or the flesh. Look in 1 John chapter 4. It's a book just after Peter there. 1 John chapter 4. 
First John chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. There's a command to the church. Do not believe every spirit. Jesus said that many would come in his name. Do not believe every spirit. Every person that claims to speak for Jesus Christ, that claims to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ, that claims to have a valid ministry, that claims to teach the word, that claims to have a prophecy or a revelation or an insight, don't believe every spirit is a command of scripture. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Okay, here's how you test a spirit. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, of which you have heard, that, is, that it is coming and now is already in the world. Now, there were given by Scripture a litmus test that every Christian can employ as to see whether the spirit working behind a person or a situation or a manifestation is from the Lord. We're not discerning people. We're discerning spirits. Remember, we wage war not against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities. Now, I used to trip out on this passage some years ago and think... Wait a minute, come on, does that really work? So let's say there's a person and you think, hey, okay, this person is a little bit off. This person might be demonized. To one degree or another, they are influenced by demons. They're claiming to love the Lord. I don't know how much experience you have with people who are under the influence of the enemy. But again, so often it is covert in nature. There are the overt ones where someone's head is spinning around on their neck and they're spewing stuff and I've seen that type of thing. I haven't actually seen the head spin, but I've seen that sort of manifestation with blasphemies and foul language and horrific things. I've seen that. But more often, it's in disguise. More often, it's covert in nature and it's someone who's claiming to love the Lord, to speak for the Lord, to represent the Lord, and to have a new revelation concerning the Lord. And I was at Calvary Chapel Santa Barbara one time where I used to minister and I was a college pastor there for seven years. And on a Sunday morning, someone came into the church and they were just tripping out. They were in the front row, it was this lady and she was, I mean, you could just tell, you know, Holy Spirit bells just going off to ding, 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 ding. And I remember an elder and I grabbed that lady and we escorted her out. I can't remember exactly what she was doing that alerted us, but we escorted her out and we, we took her to the parking lot and, and just began to dialogue with her. We wanted to see what was going on. And she began to, to explain to us how she had this incredible ministry and if people would just follow her, you know, they would discover the fuller way of the Lord and this and that and the other and was saying all these things and pronouncing judgment against that church and the pastor and everybody else and all this stuff. And we just knew this wasn't of the Lord. And the elder said, let me ask you a question. Did Jesus Christ come in the flesh? And I'll be honest with you. I had never, test, I had never tried out 1 John 4, 2 before. And I thought, oh, come on. Does that really work? Can it really be that simple? So, you, you know, you think that this is an evil spirit. And you just ask him, did Jesus come in the flesh? And this is going to be cool to see. 
So I just kind of sat back and, and watched, you know, and, and uh, it just, the lady's mouth, it was going like this, just went, and he went, tell me, did Jesus Christ come in the flesh? Did the God of the universe become a man? Was he, was he born of a virgin? Did he die upon the cross and raise again on the third day? Did Jesus Christ come in the flesh? And she remained absolutely silent. She would not respond. And he said, you're from the enemy. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Leave this place now. And she turned around and left. It was unreal. Just believing the Bible and trying it out. What an amazing thing. <laughs> so there is given us there a way by which every single Christian excuse me, can test spirits. There's another way that's given to us in Hebrews 5, verse 14. We'll just, you can go there. You're real close to it. Hebrews 5, verse 14. Start in verse 12, actually. Hebrews 5, starting in verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, he's rebuking uh, this church for not being mature enough in their faith as they ought to. You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. So the author of Hebrews says here that there's a time in our Christianity where we move beyond milk. You know what I mean? Just the basic things that are taught in the word and we need to move into the, the meat of the word of God. And then in verse 14, he says, but solid food is for the mature. Look at this. Who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. There it is. There is a way by which every Christian can discern good from evil, truth from error, the spirit of the Lord from the spirit of the Antichrist, the Holy Spirit from an evil spirit. It says, according to the word of God, those who mature beyond the milk, they're on a diet for themselves. You know what I mean? If you feed a child just a bottle of milk until he's 18, he's going to be stunted in his growth. He's not going to grow correctly. He's not going to develop correctly. If a Christian stays on milk for their whole Christian life, they never dive into the word of God themselves. They never go deeper into the word. They never start to study the word. They never read the word cover to cover. They're going to be stunted in their growth. Just like if you always gave a baby mama's milk. There would not be correct development. There must come a time where the Christian feasts upon the word for him or herself. So, solid food is for the mature who because of practice, because of practice, because they do the things that are written in the word, have their senses trained to discern good from evil. So the last days are going to be characterized by deception, but every single Christian has been given tools. We know how to test the spirit, and if we are familiar with the word of truth, then we will know how to discern the spirit of error. If you're not familiar with the word of truth, you will not be able to discern the spirit of error. That is why I, 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 I so lovingly encourage you guys. 
week in and week out to read your Bibles, to be involved in the one-year Bible reading, to study the Bible on your own, to, to, to be disciplined in your Christianity. Because I'm telling you, it's not if, it's when you will be deceived if you don't know the word of God. If you don't know the word of righteousness, you will believe doctrines of demons and deceitful spirits, period. That's why I urge you, you've got to know the word of God. You've got to be able to discern. But sometimes, discerning between the works of the Lord, the schemes of the enemy, and the deeds of the flesh is very, very difficult. It says in 2 Corinthians 11.1, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Peter had a hard time telling the difference. In Caesarea Philippi in Matthew 16, who do you say that I am, the Lord said. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon Peter, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, he received prophetic revelation from God. And then Jesus begins to tell the disciples how he's going to go to Jerusalem and be crucified. And Peter pulls him inside and begins to rebuke him. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, for you are not thinking according to the plans of God, but according to the plans of men. Peter, the apostle, had trouble discerning revelation from God, the schemes of the enemy, and the whims of the flesh in just one conversation with the Lord. And so, because it is so difficult to discern sometimes, then we have the special gift of distinguishing of spirits. Sometimes it's just really difficult. Remember, The gifts of the Spirit are supernatural enablings to meet overwhelming needs. There will be some things that look so right and sound so perfect, but the Spirit behind them is error. False prophets always speak truth, usually about 99.8%. Let's look at an example of the gift of distinguishing of spirits functioning in the New Testament. Go to Acts 16. Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Paul here is ministering in Philippi. He's going to be imprisoned, and we pick up the story just before he's imprisoned in verse 16, Acts 16, 16. And it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a certain slave girl having a spirit of divination met us, who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And she continued to do this for many days. Now stop right here. Here's a young lady that was well known in the community. But she had a spirit of divination, which is the ability to foretell future events by supernatural revelation, but not revelation from the Lord. Okay, this is demonic stuff here. She's following around Paul and some of the boys here as they're preaching the gospel saying, these guys are the servants of the Most High God. What does she say exactly? 
These men are the bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. What she said was 100% truth. 100% truth. There was no error in it. It was 100% truth. Most human beings that would have heard her would have said, praise the Lord for that little girl. Praise God. Look, just a little slave girl. And she's just proclaiming the right things of the Lord. That is so awesome. Right? Absolutely. If you had no prior knowledge that she had a spirit of divination, you're just saying, praise the Lord. That looks right. That sounds right. But it wasn't right. So we pick it up now. In verse 18, where it says, and she continued to do this for many days. And then it says, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. There we see that Paul was able to discern the spirit behind the proclamation, the spirit working behind the girl. It wasn't the girl, it was the spirit that was functioning behind her or through her. Isn't that interesting? Everything she said was totally true, but she was from the devil. Now, given enough time, and if she was given acceptance into the body of Christ and a platform in the body of Christ, there is no question that she would have eventually introduced destructive heresies. But it took somebody with the gift of distinguishing of spirits to recognize that is not from the Lord and to just call it out like it was and to rebuke that demon and that demon came out of her at that moment. Do you see how there will be instances in the church where unless somebody had the supernatural revelation from God that it wasn't right, nobody would ever know. Aren't you thankful that the Holy Spirit has given that to the church? Are you thankful that there's men and women in our church who have that gift? Wouldn't you agree that more people in the church need that gift? There will be times where there will be no other way to tell that it is demonic deception other than by supernatural revelation. There will be other times where you can tell by other means and we'll discern them that way and we'll sniff them out and we'll deal with them. But we need the gift of discerning of spirits. Now, I want you to notice one thing as an aside here. That... The, the demon that was dealing with this girl was called a spirit of divination. A spirit of divination. There are some times in the Bible where we're given some names, a spirit of, and then what that spirit was of. In other words, it would be the way that that spirit chose to work when it messed with people, when it messed with humanity. This would be the thing that it sought to use against people. Now, The gift of discerning of spirits or distinguishing of spirits, I believe, is useful for not just distinguishing, not just discerning, not just knowing whether something is from the Holy Spirit, the Lord, or the flesh, but also knowing what type of demonic spirit you're dealing with. Okay, so now it narrows in a little bit. You might identify whether it's the Lord or or the enemy or the flesh, but now if it's the enemy, what kind of spirit from the enemy? And there are some that are listed in scripture. Uh, For example, in Numbers chapter 5, we read of a spirit of jealousy. In Hosea 4 and 5, we read of a spirit of harlotry that Israel had. In Acts 16, we saw the spirit of divination. In Luke 13, we read of the spirit of infirmity, the woman that had the issue of blood. 
In Mark 9, we read of a spirit that made the man dumb, a dumb spirit. He was not able to speak. When the spirit was cast out by Jesus, the man was able to speak. And then in 1 John 4, 6, we have listed the spirit of error. So there are different uh, ways that demons work, apparently from scripture, spirits of, and it would seem, I believe, there's no reason to disagree with this grammatically, linguistically, or any other reason. I would believe that the gift of distinguishing of spirits will allow someone to be able to discern what kind of spirit is functioning, spirit of error. Perhaps somebody has a sickness. Okay, is that just because we live in a fallen world? Or is that the Lord reproving them? Because that happened in 2 Corinthians 11. Or is that sickness caused by Satan? And so perhaps somebody would be able to discern that person is being messed with by the spirit of infirmity, spirit of jealousy, spirit of divinity, whatever it might be. But I believe that the gift also functions in that way. Now, a word of caution, having mentioned the spirit of thing. Like anything else in Christianity, there are abuses of that. And I reject the view that every time somebody sins, they have a spirit of something. You know what I mean? I, I just, I, I, I reject that view. The, the, some people do that. You know, you have a spirit of, you have a spirit of overeating. You have a spirit of bad hair. You have a spirit of no fashion sense. Whatever it is, there are certain people who they want to put a spirit of on everything. And what happens is this. It, it, it effectually limit, eliminates human responsibility. Where you begin to say, oh, I sinned, but it was a spirit of lying or a spirit of deception or a spirit of this or I couldn't help myself because of the spirit of that. And that is not biblical. Number one is giving the devil too much credit. Number two, it's not recognizing the sinfulness of the flesh of man. And it's wrong to blame the devil every time we sin, especially in light of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, which says, No temptation has overcome you except for that which is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you are able to endure, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape also. That passage precludes the Christian ever saying, The devil made me do it. Because it says, no temptation to overcome you because that's ever common to man, but God is faithful and will not let you be tempted beyond that which you're able to bear. So you can't say the devil made me do it. So there may be a spirit of this and that, a spirit of so and so and so what and the other. But that's something that we need to not get carried away with. And we need to remember the sinfulness of man and not blame everything on the devil. And then we need to balance that with sometimes it really is the devil. And you know what helps us know? The gift of discerning of spirits. And I think what helps us know even in a broader context and importantly for each one of us is just knowing the word of God will help us to know. If you know the word of truth, you won't fall to the spirit of error. So I believe that the gifts function, that gift functions in that way. You're just able to tell if something's from the Lord. Hey, that's, yeah, that's right on. From the enemy, oh, that's wrong. Or from the flesh, that's stupid. Sometimes people that have this gift will just meet a person and they just know something is not right here. Now, I'm not talking about the gift of suspicion. <laughs> it's not a gift. <laughs> I have known Christians who seem to think they have the gift of suspicion. And everyone that they meet, they've got some sort of discernment about that person and why they're ill. 
That's not biblical. That's not right. That's not good. But I believe there are individuals that have this gift and they could meet people and they could know something is ill about this brother. And again, we wage war not against flesh and blood, but the spirits that are behind them. Or there might be a ministry and millions might think that it's absolutely right on. And someone who knows the word or has a gift will just go, wow, you got to be kidding me. That absolutely is not right on. Sometimes you walk into a room and you just know there's a demonic presence here. Sometimes that's so gnarly that any born again Christian could tell. Other times it's people discerning of spirits. Other people can really sense the Lord. We've got a guy on staff who can just really sense when the Lord is present in a unique way. You know, he's always with us, but then there's a manifest presence of God. And, and he just can sense when the Lord's there in a special way and we'll leave a place and he'll be like, wow, the Lord was so heavy in that place. And I'm like, really? Gosh, I can't believe I missed them. I was out in that. You know, or we'll be talking to someone and we'll walk away and they'll be like, wow, that person has some serious demonic influences. I'm like, really? I thought they'd be fun to go surfing with. I didn't think... One time when I was doing the college ministry at Calvary Chapel, Santa Barbara, I was in the middle of, of teaching uh, a Bible study there. And there was a girl there in the middle of the sermon. She leaps up to her feet. She's sitting like back, Alex, where you're sitting right now. She's about that far away from me. She leaps up to her feet and at the top of her lungs yells, Oh, shh! And drops the S-bomb right there. And then she goes, oh! And drops the other bomb right there. And goes, wow! Oh! And just cusses up a storm in the middle of the sermon right there. Okay? Now, some lady was sitting in the front row, right where you are, bro. Sitting right there. And she swings around like on a dime in an instant. Swings around and goes, out demon! <laughs> and then, back then at the college ministry, all chicks in the front row. I love that we have guys in the front row. But it used to be all chicks. They all started weeping when that lady said that. Ah! Oh God, help us! Ah! Screaming. So I've got two front rows screaming. This lady going, out demon! And this other lady cussing in the back. And what, what was so kind of the Lord, because I was kind of making fun earlier, pretending to be a little more clueless than I am. I have been known to have the gift of discerning of spirits, but what was so kind of the Lord was at the moment he revealed to me, that's not demonic, that's just the silly old flesh. In the moment he revealed that to me as a shepherd, as a pastor of the body. And so I then knew how to deal with it. And it was wonderful because my guys came. Sean was one of them. Pastor Sean who's standing in the back right now. And, and some of my guys came and just grabbed her and, and just took her out. And it happened that she, she took some hallucinogenics before she came to the college ministry, which seemed to be popular. It seemed like we had a lot of people that would take hallucinogenics and come on Friday night to church. It was like <laughs> serious worship experience, I guess. But, 
But the Lord let me know that it was just a flesh. And as a pastor now, I was able to speak that to the flock and it brought comfort. I was able to speak that, hey, that was not a demonic manifestation. That was a work of the flesh. The Lord even told me it was drugs. And I was just able to share with people and everybody calmed down. And we were able to pick the sermon right up and have a wonderful night. And they took her outside and just began to pray over her. And the Lord just sobered her up and she got saved and she became a very vital part of the ministry. So isn't that cool how that functions? And so that was just one of those moments where someone had to know. And so the Holy Spirit, bam, supernatural revelation. Now the lady that was in the front, I don't know what her trip was. I actually never saw her again and I kind of praise God for that. But the Lord knows what the body needs at the right time. Now another time, will you guys indulge me for a couple minutes? Okay, another time. I'm just telling this because this is a crazy story. This has nothing to do with anything. Okay, check this out. This is nuts. I'll make it relate somehow. Friday night, college ministry, reality, Calvary Santa Barbara, right? We used to worship for the days. Like there was no time frame. We would just go just for as long as we went. So we're worshiping one night and I'm playing guitar like I normally do. I'm standing right here. And at that time, uh, the drums was over to my left-hand side. And Dave Granada, who's here tonight, who cooked the meat, helped Angela cook the meat tonight. He was playing drums. And uh, the worship leader is right here. And so I'm playing guitar and I've got my head down like I usually do like this. And I communicate a lot with Dave when we're playing and stuff. And he's playing and all of a sudden he, I look at him and he goes, and kind of nods that way and keeps playing. And I'm like, what? And sometimes he'd be telling me like, you're sucking or something like that. So I'm trying to figure out what is he telling me? And he keeps playing. He goes, he doesn't miss a beat. God is my witness. I look over this way and there's this huge long stage at Calvary Santa Barbara, like twice as long at least. And this guy is running at me. The biggest man you've ever seen in your life. No shirt on, bald, covered in blood. Running at me across the stage. My drummer never misses a beat. Never misses a beat. This guy's running at me. I've got the guitar over, you know, like this. And I went like this. I grabbed the guitar and went like this. My Paul Reed Smith, an incredible guitar, and was just ready to crack the guy in the head like that. And right then, my guys run up from the front row and just tackle him right there. Just grab him. Tall Paul was one of them who grabbed him, got covered in blood, and just took the guy out. Now... How am I going to make this mean something? That was demonic in nature. Because later on, it's true, uh, some of the ushers who were at the main door said that this guy ran past them. God have mercy on them for letting this guy get past them. But he ran past them saying something about demons and then my name. And the cat just came barreling through the doors and up on the stage and was fully demonized, running after me, covered in blood. Turned out that he had just gotten out of jail. The cops came and stuff. He had just gotten out of jail, went to his ex-girlfriend's house, and she stabbed him twice in the back of the head. And then he ran to church to beat me up. (laughs) Go figure, other than demons, right? That story always wins first place when pastors get together. (laughs) 
Because I don't know if you know about senior pastors, but we get together and we tell stories. Okay, worst thing that's ever happened at your church. <laughs> Craziest person you've ever had at church. That one always wins no matter what. Big bloody guy running across stage. Drummer never missed a beat. <laughs> Unbelievable. So anyway, discerning of spirits. The girl in the front row is coming unglued. Um, the best way to guard ourselves against error is to know the truth. Church, nobody can do it for you. Nobody can do it for you. You've got to know the truth for yourself. And so here's what I thought we'd do this evening. I'd like to move into a time of communion with you guys. And just remembering the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. And you know, we talked a lot about demons and deception tonight. We need to remember that Jesus is victorious over the enemy. We need to remember that his victory is absolutely complete and it is sure. And that we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. Amen? And that we have the victory. And if we cling to the word and the work of the spirit, there's no reason why we as a church ever have to be deceived or as we as individuals ever have to be deceived. And so we're going to rejoice in the cross tonight. Dominic's going to come up and start leading us in worship. And I just want you guys to kind of move into just thinking about the Lord and rejoicing over the work of the cross and just reflecting upon him and then as the Lord leads come forward and, and take communion and then we'll just you know see what the Lord does after that amen? amen Lord we just thank you for how sweet and wonderful you are we thank you for the ways that you protect the church Lord the gifts that you've given that help us to not get caught up in error we thank you for the gift of discerning of spirits and Lord as a pastor I would ask that we would have more in this church that you'd give more people the ability to distinguish between your genuine work, the schemes of the enemy, and the silliness of the flesh, Lord. We want less of the flesh in our church, and we want none of the devil here. So help us to discern. And Jesus, just help us to know you more. Help us to know you in such a way that there is just no chance that we could be dragged away into error. There's just no chance. We know you so well that we're not going to be fooled. We want to know the real thing. And so, Spirit of the living God, would you please fall upon this place? Would you please come and move in this place and have your way this evening? Would you give us a spirit of celebration and rejoicing as we come to the communion table? Restore unto us the joy of thy salvation, Lord. How great a victory we have in the cross. How glorious that sin and death and the devil have been defeated and that we've been given abundant life. In exchange for us a mantle of praise instead of the spirit of fainting in this place, Lord. Revive us according to thy word tonight. Holy Spirit, breathe life on your people. We celebrate you, Jesus. You didn't have to go to the cross. We thank you that you did. Thank you, Father, that you loved us so much you were willing to give your son. How glorious a love. Behold what manner of love has been given unto us that we should be called the children of God. 